One of my favorite quotes of all time is from a book called The Knowledge of the Holy by author A.W. Tozer. The first line in that book says this, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Let that sink in for a little bit. The truth of the matter is most of us live such fast-paced lives that we don't have time to think deeply about God. But I want you to, to do that right now. Just think about that statement. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Why is that? Well, because your thoughts about God determine everything else in your life. Think about it. If you think that, if you think that somehow God is not to be trusted, that he's not trustworthy, well, it stands to reason that your life would probably be filled with anxious thoughts, could lead to anxiety. If somehow you've concluded that I can't trust God, he's not trustworthy. If you think that God is a, a judgmental tyrant, well, that would probably cause you to live a life of fear and insecurity. If you think that God is somehow distant, he, he's kind of aloof. He's out there, but he doesn't really care about you or your circumstances. Well, then your life will probably be filled with thoughts of, of insignificance. If you see God as, as just a grumpy old man, just a grumpy old man, well, that might tend to lead you, if you begin to extrapolate that thought out, to, to live a life of bigotry and intolerance, and a grumpy life. If you think of him as, as just a warm, tingly force, that's what God is. He's just this warm, you know, cup of tea. Well, then your life may, may be filled with absolutely no convictions about anything. Your thoughts of God are the most important thing about you. Now, here's some bad news that's going to be followed by some good news. Every one of us have a skewed view of God. We all do. We're not batting a thousand when it comes to our thoughts about God. Because our thoughts about God have been based or are based on the things that we've heard about him, which maybe aren't true. Things that we've seen around us that maybe don't give us an accurate picture about God. Things that, that we've experienced in life that have led us to certain conclusions about God. So I think a, a, an honest question for our faith journey is this, is how can we develop a correct view of God? And that's why we're doing this series on the names of God. In the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about the names of God. I mean, after all, names, names are really important, right? This morning in the room, I'm, I'm looking around, there, there are some gals who are with child, they're pregnant, and you are either wrestling through a name that you're going to call your child, your son or your daughter, or you've already decided on a name. 
And that is very, very important. Why? Because they're going to be in junior high someday. I mean, just think about that when you're, when you're thinking about certain names. And I'm, I'm not going to, I was going to put some examples, but I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to offend nobody by saying a name that I think might lead to a little razzing when they get in junior high. But, but I'm just telling you, if you just need some, some free advice, just remember your children will be in junior high someday. Name them with that in mind, all right? Names are important. I mean, it's, it's a big deal, right? Like your name. If you meet somebody one time and then you come back around and you see them again and they remember your name, that means something to you, doesn't it? You have, in, in your mind, that person raises in value simply because they remembered your name. On, on the opposite end, right? When, when you walk into somebody's life and, and you're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my, I should know who they are. I should know who they are. I can't remember the name for the life of me. How many of you are bad at names? Yeah, okay. You can learn. There's, there are tri- tricks and tips and, and ways to learn names. I won't go, in, go into that right now. But, but again, whether it's somebody not remembering your name or you not being able to remember somebody's name, when we forget names, it leaves an impression, usually not a good one. A name, though, is more than just a word to get somebody's attention. Names have meanings. And, and all of us, those of us who are parents, when we named our children, we named them what we named them for a reason. And you guys know this, right? Our three kids, Brianna Karras, Kara Brooke, and Cameron Delaney, there's significance behind it. Brianna's middle name, Karis, is the word for grace. Kara's first name is, a, is, is a, the word for joy. Uh, Cameron Delaney, his middle name, uh, shares a, a, the name, uh, my middle name. His first name's not that significant. It just means crooked nose. <laughs> but the middle name has real significance because we wanted to share, uh, share that name together. And in the Bible, though, in the Bible, names have even more significance. Names were super important in Bible times, and, and names had to do with that individual's character. It, has, it tells us something about that person. And so as we, as we begin this series today on the names of God, here's our prayer, here's our desire, here's what we want for you over these next several weeks. We want you to get to know his names. There's going to be some education that will happen. You'll hear some things like, I never heard that before, never thought about that before, never knew that before. That's great. I'm, I'm happy to provide some, some biblical insights about the names of God. I'm excited to share those things with you. But more than, than, than information, we want a study on the names of God to lead to transformation. Because I'm convinced of this, the more we get to know the names of God, the more we will love him. And the more that we, we love him, the more we'll want to know him. And the more, we want to, the more that we get to know him, the more we're going to want to share him with others. So again, this is an important series as we start out on the names of God. Again, our names are connected to, I think, two things. Our, our names are connected to our identity it identifies who we are, but our name also is connected to our story. What do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, you all know my name. My name is, my name is Trent. 
but those of you who know me know more than my name. You know my story. I am more than my name. I am my story, right? And if we've never met before, and if this is some of you who are new today, I haven't said hi to everybody, all you know about me is my name. My, my name's Trent, and it's good to meet you. But if we spent time together, you would learn more about me. You would learn more about my story, who I am. I am more than Trent, right? I am my story. You know, if, if, and if all you knew about me is my name, and that's, if that's all you ever know about me is my name, then I've just become a character in Guardians of the Galaxy. I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. That's it. It's all you would ever know about me. So I say that to say this. In the scriptures, when it comes to God, the best way to get to know God is not simply by learning his names, but by connecting them to his story. And so that's what we're going to try to do over these next several weeks, is not just have a study on specific names of God, but connecting it to the story of God as we see it in scriptures. And so every story has a beginning, and God's story begins at the beginning, right? Genesis 1.1 tells us what? In the beginning, God, full stop. Let's stop right there. We have our first problem in the first few words of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. Now, now again, if we're just being honest, we might ask some questions like, well, which God? Who's God? This word God, if we're being honest, is a generic word. That's a generic word. If you were to ask a hundred people, who is God? They would come up with different answers, right? They, they would tell you something different. They would describe him differently, right? Some would describe the God of the Bible Though the, the God that those of us who are following Christ have come to know, but others would describe another God altogether. The God, perhaps, of science, the, the God of nature, the, the, the God of another religion, or perhaps a God of their own making. So, when we get to Genesis 1 1 and we read the term, in the beginning, God, what is that word? And what does that word mean? Well, in Genesis 1-1, the word God is the word Elohim. How many of you knew that? Anybody? Some of you know that? Great. Awesome, awesome, awesome. In the beginning, God, in the Hebrew language, in the original language, which is what the Bible, the Old Testament was written in, you would see that word right there, Elohim, except spelled in Hebrew, right? Which is the, the word above it. And the more I dug... <laughs> the more I found that the word Elohim has lots of complexities, lots of nuances that we're not going to try to unpack today. But if I were to boil it down, this word Elohim has to do with this idea. The, the, fact, that, the fact is that biblical authors 
use the word, when they use the word, it could be talking about a variety of spiritual beings. The word Elohim in the, in the biblical author's mind could be referring to a variety of supernatural spiritual beings. And so the best way to think of the term Elohim is to think of it as a title, not a name. It's like saying mom or dad. How many moms and dads are here? Raise your hand. You're a mom, you're a dad, right? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Mom is a title. Dad is a title. But it's not your name. If we were to be in a group of people and a a kid came running up and said, hey, mom, hey, dad, right? A bunch of us would turn around. Lots of people would turn around. But it doesn't define who it is that the child is talking to. Now, just because the word Elohim, just because the word, again, that we translate God is a title, it doesn't mean that it's unimportant. How do I know that? Ask any mom or dad. Is, is the title mom important to you? Is, is the title dad important to you? Of course it is. So, so because the word Elohim is more of a generic title, doesn't mean that it's unimportant. The word, the Hebrew word Elohim and the Greek word theos are what we often see in our English Bibles translated as God. So what we see translated as big G, little O, little D. And so today it's easy to think of of Elohim as another divine title for the God of the Bible, which is true, but it's not actually that simple. Like I said, it refers to a class, a whole class of spiritual beings, rather than the actual name of the God of scriptures. Again, the idea of mom, dad, right? It's, it's a title, but it's not their actual name. So, the biblical author Moses, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God. Which Elohim is he talking about? Which Elohim is he talking about? Well, we find out which Elohim he is talking about if we continue to read. He says, in the beginning God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. That's who Moses is talking about. This Elohim has the power and the creativity to spin a world into being, so that takes a whole bunch of other spiritual beings off the list, right? Angels and demons, right? They're off the list because they don't have the ability to create. Now again, Israel. Israel would come to know this Elohim, the creator Elohim, the creator God, as the Elohim of Elohims, the only spiritual being with the ability to create. This Elohim, this God, is the one who created the world. And this Elohim, this God, this spiritual being, also created every other spiritual being, which sets him apart as an Elohim and a category altogether different than any other spiritual being. Isaiah talked about this. He hinted at this. In Isaiah 37, 16, he said this, O Lord of hosts, 
Elohim, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim. The cherubim, again, would have been created beings. They would have been Elohim as well. You are the Elohim. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. When we think about this word Elohim, God, Make no mistake about it, the God of the Bible, the God of Scripture, the the, the common way that we refer to God. When we pray and we talk to God, when we we, uh, read in the Scriptures about God, this is the Elohim of Elohims we're talking about in a category altogether different from all other spiritual, supernatural beings. He's the one who created them in the first place. How many of you are like, I never thought about that before. There's something new in there. That's great. There was something new in there for me, and I'm not even going to begin to get into some of the nuances of this word. If you're interested in learning more about this word, uh, a great resource is thebibleproject.com, uh, and, and search the word Elohim, and it will send you on a journey that you'll be like, your mind will be absolutely blown. But... This is not where we're going to spend most of our time today. As a matter of fact, we need to, to move on. I want to, look at, I want to look at another name. And I think that this is the name that really is the most important name when we think about the names of God. Why is it? Well, because this is the name that he uses to refer and to describe himself. The rest of the names are names humans have given him. Today, I want to spend the majority of our time looking at his self-revealed name. In order for us to do that, turn to Exodus 3. Exodus 3 in your Bibles. We're going to put some verses up on the screen in a little bit. If you need a Bible, please stop and grab one, uh, and we'll make sure you have have a copy of the Scriptures when you head out today. So, Exodus 3. Got to give you a little bit of backstory to get to the moment in the story of God where he reveals his name. If you know the book of Exodus, you would know that one of the major characters in the book of Exodus is a guy named guy named Moses, right? So, a little backstory to get us to Exodus 3. Israel, God's chosen people, they have grown as a nation. They've grown to such size and strength that the superpower of the day, Egypt, began to see them as a threat. And so Pharaoh takes all of Israel as slaves, and for years he works them. He works them as slaves. They are slaves in Egypt. But even in Egypt, the Israelites, the Hebrews, begin to or continue to grow in number. And they got so large that Pharaoh decided it's time to do something about the size of these Hebrew people. And he says, we're going to start killing the firstborn sons. Firstborn sons, we're going to kill them. We're going to control the population. And during that time, a baby was born. And his name was Moses. And he had a hero of a mom. He, he, he had a special mom who dared to stand up in her own way to Pharaoh and decided to, to enact a rescue operation 
for her son. And the, the plan, if you know the, the biblical story, was to take little, the little Moses and place him in a basket and float him down the Nile River. And as he was floating down the Nile, he floated past Pharaoh's daughter, who saw him, rescues him, takes Moses into the palace where she raises him as her own. And so now Moses is growing up in Pharaoh's palace. At some point in time in Pharaoh's journey in the palace, he recognizes, he realizes, he learns, wait a minute, I'm not an Egyptian, I am a Hebrew. And no doubt that would have been conflicting for him to find out I'm not who I thought I was growing up. I'm actually part of this slave nation inside of the nation that I've been raised to be a part of. And so one day he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And again, you know the story, right? Moses takes matters into his own hands and he kills this Egyptian. And then he flees. He runs. He makes his way to Midian. He is a fugitive of justice. And there he is for about 40 years. Again, in the story, he gets married, settles down, and goes to work for his father-in-law. It doesn't always work out, but apparently it was working out okay for him. So he was working as a, in, in his, in his uh, father-in-law's field, tending sheep, until one day. He's just doing his job, minding his own business. He notices off in the distance a bush. And this bush, as he does a double take, he notices is on fire. Literally, it's on fire, but, but it's not being consumed. It's, it's, it's not turning in on itself and then eventually going out like a bush would do, right? Go out if it's a solo bush, right? It just continues to burn. And he begins to think that this is... This is different. This is, this is odd. This is not like anything I've ever seen. And then all of a sudden, he hears a voice coming from the bush. And he turns from this is odd to no, I think this is God. And God speaks and says, what? Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And Moses takes off his shoes. And he begins to have this encounter with God. And now I'm going to paraphrase it. God, in essence, says to, to Moses, hey, Moses, look, it's, it's time for me to rescue my people from slavery. They've been in bondage long enough. I'm going to rescue them. And Moses says, sounds great. And God says, and oh, by the way, I'm going to use you to make it happen. And Moses is like, what are you talking about? What in the world are you talking about? I have questions. I have some questions I'd like to ask. And so if you read in Exodus 3, this, this back and forth between Moses and God. And in this back and forth, Moses says, suppose, suppose I go to the people of Israel and I explain to them about this moment. Hey, guys, I'm the one that's going to lead you out of Egypt. And here's why. There was this bush, and it was on fire, and I heard God talk to me. What am I supposed to say? 
Or, or suppose, God, I, I make my way to, to Pharaoh. I knock on his door and I say, hey, Pharaoh, this, uh, you know, this plan, this, this unpaid labor force you've been taking advantage of for years, it's done, man. You got to let them go. Like, God, it, what am I supposed to say to Pharaoh? Like, when people question me about what I'm experiencing now, and they, they ask a legitimate question, who sent you? Who sent you? What is the name of the God that's telling you all of these things? What am I supposed to tell them? What am I supposed to say? Now, again, think about this. This would have been normal for Moses to ask that question because he grew up in a culture of polytheism. So the idea of asking the question, which God, should I say, sent me, would have been culturally very normal and very natural. Moses would, would eventually, of course, get to know the one true God, but it was a legitimate question. And so that's what we're going to read. Exodus 3, verse 13 through 16. It says this, Then Moses said to God, again, kind of a little bit of uh, back, backing up a little bit, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And then here's God revealing to Moses and to us his name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. He says, say, I am who I am sent you. And this is the word, and some of you have heard this before, this is the word Yahweh. Yahweh. How many of you have heard that word before? Listen, if you want to know the answer to the question, what is God's name, his proper name, the answer is Yahweh. Why? Because that's what he says his name is. His name is Yahweh. I am that I am. I am who I am. And you're saying to yourself, that's not real helpful. Be honest. How many of you thought that? I mean, it's like, you know, like you, you, you're, you're, you know, you're buying a car and there's some paperwork to sign, right? And the guy slides the, the paperwork across from you and you're like, what does this say? And then the, the guy's like, well, it says what it says. Just sign it. You're like, no, 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 I, I have questions. Well, it, is, it says what it says, just sign it. It's not, it doesn't appear to be helpful. Your kid comes home from school. Hey, son, how was your day? It was, it was what it was. Not helping, it doesn't tell me anything. And so we can, if we're not careful, we can look at this word and go, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Another way to say that. This is not, not helpful. Well, this word, Yahweh, does help us to understand something about 
the Elohim of Elohims, the creator God. As a matter of fact, this word Yahweh would for the nation of Israel become so um, unique, so special, so holy, that at some point in time they decided not to utter the name. They actually created a, 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 a made-up name. Again, we won't get into that today. And they wouldn't even write the name. They had a special way of writing it. But what do we learn when we hear God say to Moses, say to the people, I am that I am. I am who I am. Well, I think we learned several things. I'm going to put them up on the screen all together. So we learned this. We learned, number one, that, that he is, that Yahweh is a person, not a force. He is a person. He's not a force. This reveals the personhood of God. He can be known and wants to know us. Another thing we can say is this, is that Yahweh is who he, he, who he is no matter what we say about him. And again, this has a lot to do with our culture today that tries to define Yahweh in our own terms. We like to define Yahweh the way we want to define Yahweh. We, we have our own image of him in our mind. Yahweh is not who we make him out to be. He is not who we make him out to be. And I thought about this, and I th thought about when our kids were young. Any of you have kids that went to Build-A-Bear? Anybody, anybody, anybody still have a Build-A-Bear at home? Like when Build-A-Bear came out, it was super cool, and we dug it, and our kids all did Build-A-Bears. And if you've not been to a Build-A-Bear, it's kind of this workshop where you do what the title says. You build a bear. You get to pick out the, the style of the bear. You, you get to pick out like the, the, the hobbies, the personality of the bear. Is it going to be cheerleader bear, or is it going to be football bear? Is it going to be gray, or is it going to be brown? Is it going to be a boy bear, or is it going to be a girl bear? You can, you can give it all kinds of different features, right? And you design the bear, and then you put it on this thing, and it fills it with stuffing, then you sew it up, and you can take home your own bear that you, what? You made, you designed, you created, and you know where I'm going with this. The truth of the matter is, it's how a lot of people treat God. They build their own God. I want God to be a lot like this and a little like this and nothing like this. We dial up the love. We tend to dial down the justice. We love the grace. We don't necessarily like the truth. And if we're not careful, we begin to define and create Yahweh in a way that we want instead of understanding who he is. Yahweh is not who we make him to be. A theological way of saying that, if you were in seminary, you would learn these two terms, is that Yahweh is self-existing and self-sufficient. He did not need to be created, and he doesn't need help being sustained. He is who he is. He always was who he is, he is who he is, and he will always be who he is. Irregardless of what culture says, irregardless of what our feelings say, irregardless of what we think, Yahweh is who he is. So, 
This tells us some things about Yahweh, but there is still so much more for us to learn. You see, God didn't give Moses everything in this moment. Moses in this moment, though, believed enough to act. He believed enough to act, and what do we call that? We call that, we call that faith. In that moment, Moses had faith enough to say, if this is who God tells me he is, this Elohim that is speaking to me, this creator God that Moses would get to know over the years, then I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. And we know pretty much the story from there, right? A lot of us do. But I just want to pause right here and I want to ask a couple of questions. Are you stuck in your faith? Like, are you just like stuck? If you hit a wall in your journey with this Elohim of Elohims, with Yahweh, and you just, you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You're just spinning your wheels again, or you feel like you've just hit a brick wall. It might be, could it be, that there's something that you don't believe about this Yahweh? Is it something that you don't believe that is actually true is true? Do you not believe that he's good? Do you not believe that he is loving? Do you not believe that he is present? I can't answer that for you. But if today you find yourself being honest with yourself and with Yahweh, the Elohim of Elohims, ask him, what is it that I'm not believing about you? What is it that I'm not trusting about you? What is it that keeps me from acting in my life with faith? because I believe you're telling me the truth about you. Wrestle with that this week. But that still brings a question, you know, this journey um, about Moses and Yahweh, Moses getting to know Yahweh a little bit more over time. And, and we're going to see that Moses got to know Yahweh more over time. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to flip to Exodus 33. Three. Exodus 33. Again, it's about 20 chapters ahead in the story. So, again, we won't tell the story, but we know the story, right? He goes to Pharaoh. Plagues come. Freedom, finally. Right after the, the, the Passover moment. There's the wandering in the desert. There's the fire and the smoke that guides them. There's miracles in the desert. There's, there's God giving Moses the law and the Ten Commandments. While Moses is up getting the law, there's the story of the golden calf. Israel worshiping this golden calf and Moses coming down, getting upset. Moses, over this time, has no doubt gotten to know Yahweh more and more. As a matter of fact, he got to know him so well that he says, can we talk? Can, can, can we have another encounter? And so we're going to jump into a conversation that Moses has with God in Exodus chapter 33. And I'm going to start in verse 17. <clears throat> Moses, I'll give you a little backstory. Moses wants God's assurance that if he's going to continue to lead Israel, if he's going to continue to go forward, that God's presence would be with him. Moses is like, I'm not moving unless you 
unless you guarantee me that you're going to be with us. Because these people, they're a mess, and I don't want to be part of this mess unless I know you're going to go with me, all right? So that's kind of where in the story after the golden calf that we're jumping in. Verse 17 says this. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by by name. Moses said, and then here's the statement, Please show me your glory. What's he saying there? He's saying, God, I want to know more of your your I amness. I want to know more about who you are. Show me your glory. God says this, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. I think it's interesting that he says, I will make all my goodness. He didn't say, I will make all my greatness. Is God great? Absolutely, absolutely. But he said, Moses, I'm going to pass, I'm going to make all my goodness because at the core, one of the things we've got to understand about Yahweh is that Yahweh is good. He says, and I will, as I pass before you, I will proclaim my name Yahweh and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, and again, if you need to understand something here, um, when you see the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the word Yahweh, right? When you see it in your English Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you can insert Yahweh because that's what it is in the original language. And the Lord, and Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my, while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Can you imagine this moment for Moses? Moses climbs. He goes up to Mount Sinai again. And we're going to jump down in, verse, uh, in chapter 34. Starting, I'll go ahead and start in verse 4. It says this, So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord, as Yahweh, there's those all caps, as Yahweh had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. Yahweh, verse 5, descended in the cloud and stood with him there and, and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh. And now listen, he describes who he is. This would be like me saying, my name is Trent. Now let me tell you a little bit about myself. This is Yahweh, the God of the universe, Elohim of Elohims, creator God, saying, look, I want, to, I want you to know my name, but I want you to know more than just my name. I want you to know something about me. And so Yahweh says, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Let me just stop right there. Do you, do you see, do you get this? What is happening here? Yahweh is telling Moses, look, I, I'm, I want you to know my name and my name reveals a lot about me. I am who I am. I've always been, I am, I am who I am and I will always be I am. You can't change it. Nobody changes it. I will be who I will be. But I want to tell you a little bit more about me. I want to tell you a little bit more about me. And he goes on and he, he describes some of his character traits, who he is to Moses. And look at what it says. He first says that he's merciful. Now, again, in, in my translation, the ESV, it uses the word merciful. I, think it's, I don't think it's the right word in the original language. And some of your, how many of your Bibles use the word compassionate? Any of yours use compassionate? That, that's a better English translation of the word because the actual word that, um, that Yahweh spoke is related to the word womb. There, there's, this, there's this image with this word that would have caused the Moses and anybody who would have read these words to think immediately about a mom with a child in its womb. And a mom with a child in its womb is full of compassion. They, they are, they're protectors and they're caring and they're nurturing because they have this living human being growing inside them. That, that's the word that Yahweh uses here compassionate. And, and again, I think when we think about God, some of us grew up in church environments where that's not the first, we, the first thing that we think about when we think about Yahweh. It's compassionate. But when Yahweh describes Yahweh, let me tell you a little bit about me. That's what he leads with. I am compassionate. He goes on, he says, I'm gracious. I'm gracious. And we, we've learned over the years what grace means. That grace is giving someone what they don't deserve. And when Yahweh is telling Moses, as he passes by him, I want you to know, Moses, not only am I compassionate, but I am gracious. I will give to people that which they did not earn and what they do not deserve. This is who Yahweh is. Then he says, I'm slow to anger. Our Yahweh, the Elohim of Elohims, doesn't have a quick trigger finger. He is slow to anger. Doesn't, doesn't mean that he is never angry. But slow to anger means what? Slow to anger. And it's way slower than we imagine. And it's way slower than some of us grew up thinking. And I'm glad because I sure personally give him plenty of reasons to get angry. So I can only speak for me. I'm glad that this is who Yahweh is, that he is slow to anger. And it's just the opposite of what many of us have learned. He describes himself as, as being overflowing with love, that he's always faithful. See, it doesn't matter what you think that you've done to push Yahweh away, to cause him to love you less. When you approach him, when you, when you come to him, his bent, his nature, is that you will receive his love 
and you will receive his faithfulness. Inside of this statement is, in the original language of words, one of my favorite words. As a matter of fact, in, in my kind of small window when I thought, you know what would be cool? I want to be one of those hip pastors. You know what makes you a hip pastor? Tattoo right here. Right? So when I was thinking, you know what, maybe I should be a hip pastor. The, the, there was a word, there's a word that I just love that I thought, you know what, if I were to get a, get a tattoo, it would be this word in its original language. Yeah, there's a hip pastor in our midst right there. Yeah, that's it. There you go. Good to see you, Coop. Do y'all see Coops here today? Everybody say, hey, Coop. So uh, anyway, it's the word chesed. It kind of sounds like you're clearing your throat. Chesed. Everybody say that, clear your throat. Chesed, right? And the word chesed is just loaded with meaning. It has to do with the, the, the loyal love of Yahweh. This committed covenant love that Yahweh has for his people. In other words, Yahweh was saying, look, when I, when I say that I am full of chesed, I am full of covenant love, what you, you can take this to the bank, Moses, and to all of my covenant people, I will always do what is best for you because I am loyal. I'm, I'm faithful. I'm not going anywhere. Right? In, in a world where people are often faithless, God is faithful. I'm not going anywhere. Then he describes himself as forgiving. And the, the, the scandalous thing about forgiveness is that God on the cross, Jesus on the cross, was choosing to forgive us in advance. I never really thought about that. But he was choosing to forgive in advance. Before we ever asked for it, he was extending it. He was offering it. He was providing forgiveness. And this is who Yahweh is. But then, he says, I'm just, right? Did you read that? I am not going to overlook. I'm not going to not clear the guilty. This is speaking to his justice. But the good news is this, is that it is a perfect justice. A perfect justice. Listen, Again, no secret, justice in our world is very much imperfect, right? Am I, do, I, do I need to convince anybody of that? Imperfect justice is just standard for, for our world, for our culture, for our day. But imagine a perfect justice administered by a perfect God whose bent is love and graciousness, who is slow to anger. This is who Yahweh describes himself to be. So you got two words. You've got Elohim and you got Yahweh. I got one more and this is not going to take anywhere near as long. We're going to wrap it up right now. Look at what Moses says in verse 8. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. I would say that was a good thing to do. If you have that kind of experience, I would recommend bowing your head face down and worshiping in that moment. And Moses did. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, 
Please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take us for your inheritance. Anybody notice anything different in Moses' phrases in his statement there? Some of you did it, right? It's not capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's a different word. Capital L, small O, small R, small D. Different word in the original language. This is the word Adonai. It's the word Adonai. In the scriptures, when you see this word, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's not Yahweh, it's the word Adonai. And Adonai can be applied to other people besides Yahweh, the Elohim of Elohims, because the word Adonai means, are you ready? Master. It means Lord. So it could be referring in times in the, in the scriptures to a king, right? Kings were referred to as Adonai, Adans. Different nuance in the word, but, but, but still referred to as, as Adonai, Adon is the actual word. So what's the significance of this? Well, Moses' response. How could it be anything other than looking at Yahweh, the Elohim of Elohims, and saying, you are Adonai. You are my master. You are my Lord. His experiences with Yahweh convinced him that Yahweh is worthy of being called Adonai, of being called his Lord. So again, let me just put it in our, in our, in our world right now. Do you struggle with the lordship of God? Do, do you struggle with him being the master of every area of your life, of your time, of your talents, of your treasures, of your thoughts, of your ideas and your goals and agendas and all of that? Do you struggle with deferring to God first? Do you struggle with this idea of Adonai? I do too, right? I do too. I struggle. There's times I'm like, not sure I want to trust you there, right? But here's what I want. The good news is this. The more that you get to know him, who he is, the easier it is for you to trust him as your Adonai, as your master, as your Lord in every area of life. Elohim, Elohim of Elohims, Yahweh, and Adonai. Here's how I want to end today. A couple of things. The worship team is going to come. Here's what I want you to know about, about God today, about the Elohim of Elohims, the Yahweh, the one that I want us to claim and follow as our Adonai, as our Lord. It's this. He is who he is, and who he is is with us. He is who he is, and who he is is he's with us. He is very present. So how should we respond to him? This is your homework for the rest of your life. 
How do you respond to his name? Well, scriptures give us some ideas of how to respond to his name. And before we sing about him and to him, I want us to see these together. The first thing is this. We are to praise his name. Psalm 717 says, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. In response to him, his name, we should praise him. Number two is we should honor his name. Leviticus 19.12, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. And again, one of the commandments, right? Don't take the name of the Lord your God, the name of the Lord your God in vain. And that has nothing to do with cussing, okay? Not saying that you should cuss. That's not what this command is about. This, this command is about ascribing to something, ascribing something to God that God never ascribed to himself. Saying that God is this when God never said it about himself. That's taking his name in vain. That's dishonoring his name. Third thing is call on his name. Call on his name. Psalm 116, 1 and 2. I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. Call on his name. That's talking about prayer, right? Call on his name. Thankful for what God is doing in our church as it relates to prayer. May he continue to raise us up in that area. Proclaim his name. Deuteronomy 32.3, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. Have you proclaimed his name to somebody this week? That's who's your one, right? That's evangelism. That's, that's talking with others, praising and declaring, proclaiming his name. Trust his name. Psalm 9.10, those who know your name will trust you. For you, Lord, you, Yahweh, have never, so, have never forsaken those who seek you. You having a hard time trusting? Get to know Yahweh. Get to know him. And then last one, love his name. Isaiah 56, 6. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Loving the name of the Lord has benefits. It brings joy into our life. So, the first question is, do you believe that Elohim is Elohim? If you've not wrestled that question to the ground, then let's talk. Let's talk about this creator God. You will never follow him if you first don't believe that, that he is the Elohim of Elohim, the God of gods. He is altogether different from every other spiritual being. Wrestle with them. Are you getting to know him as Yahweh? When you think of God, is the way that Yahweh described himself to Moses in line with how your view of him is being shaped? If not, ask who's shaping my view of God because he should be the one who shapes how we see him. And then the last thing is, do you respond to him as your Adonai? Are you living as him being your master, your Lord in every area of your life? 
I'm going to ask us to stand. Weighty words that I, and if you ask my wife, um, I, I was wrestling all week with, with unpacking this. Again, because I feel the weight of, of what we're trying to unpack and teach. And my prayer truly is that we would respond. Respond correctly to learning about his names. So as we sing, I'm going to invite you to come and kneel and pray. You may just want to come and kneel and worship him and just give thanks. Do one of those six things. However God is leading you, these moments are for you to respond to his name. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and your grace toward us. May we worship you as you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen.